Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Do you believe God is bigger than you? I think that's one of the beginning, beginnings of faith, really. Sounds so corny, but you know, the more I'm in this book, the simpler it gets. And I don't know, he, the more you stay in the Word, the more the clutter just gets pushed to the side. All the little bitty things that just you realize, what in the heck does it have to do with eternity? And you just find yourself going, that's not that important. This is not that big of a deal. Why would I get irritated by that? What's in me that still allows me to get irritated by stuff so small? You know, God cleansed my spirit, like you said you would, from every little bit of spiritual um, uncleanness, it says, and the superfluity of naughtiness, whatever that means. But I thank you. You know, God is bigger. God is bigger than anything. Jesus. But see, he really is. He's, he, but it's our choice. This is the whole reason I'm trying to talk a little bit more about faith. Because I'm telling you, it is true, whether you like it, whether I like it, you know, when he said, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, I've said it so many times in so many services, but it says, find out how the kingdom works. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, what has right standing with the kingdom? Find out how the kingdom works, and then anything and everything you need will be added unto you. Now, God is not a liar. And so, we get to make the choice to believe that. It's just that simple. Hell is on his job all the time, too. Hell's job is to intimidate you, is to frustrate you through something called time as much as anything else because we are a people that have been raised with this sense of instant gratification. We know that term well. But, I mean, it really frustrates us to have to wait for more than that 95 seconds to get that McDonald's burger. If you have to wait 115 seconds, something's wrong. I mean, I'm just saying there is that part of our mentality that whether we like it or not, we have to admit it's in there. I don't like waiting. None of us like to wait. But God's ways always, always, always produce. And what I'm trying to get at this morning again is as we go into this next little stage of what I want to share, actually what Julie mentioned, I'm going to be sharing the scriptures that Julie just mentioned. But, um, I, I, you know, I, I, desperate, I pray constantly, Father, help me find new words, new ways to communicate eternal truth that's been there forever. It's not going to change. You can't preach anything new because there's nothing new because God's word's eternal. I mean, you know, it's just that at some point, if we keep at it, our lights go on and we do see what's always been there. Again, it's called revelation, knowledge. And this is why, like I said last week, I think week before, my constant prayer is that we go beyond information. I don't want to just become a people that are so well-informed that they've got 14 tons of Bible teaching and they're well-informed, but it's still not alive yet. And that's where our prayer life comes into the issue because it's only God's it's prayer, our constant communion before him that begins to cause this stuff to come alive. 
And yet we have to keep going back to the, to the book, to the word, because this is eternal. This, he said, he, the one that we say we believe in, he said, heaven and earth will pass away. But none of these words, none of these words, can you actually catch that? None of these words are ever going to pass away. None of them, not one of them, not one of them, not one jot, not one tittle, not one iota. Scriptures cannot be broken. Not one of his, all his good promises will fail. That's what it says. Not one of all of his promises will fail. Not one. So how do we get to a place where we actually take a deep breath and we actually, actually, actually believe? You know, that calm persuasion where suddenly the panic, the stress, the striving is taken out of this issue. Well, the only way I've ever discovered is by, I'm sorry, staying in the Word. I'm telling you, the only way the stress and the striving leaves is when you keep this in front of your eyes. I heard a preacher say just a while back, Something that I'd said a long time ago, but it reminded me again. I was fighting a battle in an area, and I knew the Word of God, and I was quoting it. And I'd bless God this, whatever it is, you know, healing. You know, Father, your Word says, by His stripes I am healed. Your Word, you said you sent your Word, and you healed us, and you delivered us from all our destruction. And I'm quoting these words away. And the Lord stopped me, and he said, he said, that's good. He said, but remember what it says in Proverbs 4? And I said, well, yeah, and, you know, I knew he was talking about verses 20, 21, 22, 23. And he's talking about, he said, yeah. He said, I said, let not my word depart from before your eyes. And I said, yeah. He said, well, you're not doing that bit. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you're knowing, you know the word. You, you're, you've memorized this scripture you have in you. And he said, you're quoting it. But I said, don't let it depart from your eyes. He said, you're forgetting this part. I don't care how many scriptures you can quote. I want you to go back to the page. I need you to go back to the page and look at it. All I know is there's something that happens there. So all of this, see, there's just all of this has to come together for it to really begin to manifest. And the thing is, remember, God withholds no good thing from us. There's, he doesn't withhold any good thing from us. He's done his bit. But again, he's released his way of doing things and being right, and he's not going to violate that. He's not going to violate this. That's why this whole thing, like I said, I started talking about four or five weeks ago again. You have to first, you go through these stages, you must believe that he is, right? He that cometh to God must believe that he is. Again, easy to quote, but do you believe that he is? Because if you believe that he is, that alone should change everything. I believe God. I believe in God. Well, you're crazy. You can't see him. I believe in God. And the thing is, like, it is true. You know, what you believe, you begin to see. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. So in the beginning, we talked about just that aspect. We went to Romans 4.13. These were our first texts when we began. I'm just going to sweep through those. We're talking about Abraham. And again, it said, Abraham... When God spoke to Abraham about becoming the father of many nations, he didn't, he didn't inherit that promise through works, or even works of righteousness, but through faith. He inherited the promise by faith. Then you go down four verses later, remember, and said, therefore, inheriting any of the promises of God, and it, okay, 
Therefore, inheriting the promises of, is the outcome of faith. It depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace. So whatever the promise is, whatever the promise is, it, depend, it coming to pass in your life, my life, depends entirely on this thing called faith. Faith. Belief. It's where you make this choice to believe. You actually take this promise and it speaks louder to you than if your own wife spoke to you or your own husband or whoever. And you heard the old story, the old uh, illustration been gone, that's been given so many times over the years. You know, we, we'll go to a doctor, and I'm telling you, if the doctor says it, we'll believe every word that he says, and we'll act upon every word. If a butcher tells us this is the right kind of meat, this is not, you know, we'll, we'll believe the word of a butcher. We'll believe the word of a baker that says this is the best stuff, but Almighty God speaks, and we go, well, I'm not sure. You know, we begin to try to figure out, did he mean this or did he not? And that's why so many times in Scripture in the Old Testament, God just says, my God, he said, I'm in charge of a whole bunch of rebellious and hard-headed people. And he says, sheesh, you know, when was it? I'm going to smash them all. <laughs> Thank God he didn't do that. But the point is, we have to just, if we want to see God in our life, see, my life now at my age now is totally comprised of wanting to see God manifest himself for you, but for this world. And anything and everything about God, my faith growing and maturing and coming to know the Father better, I finally broke through and understood. I don't care what it is, it's about other people. Everything about my Christian maturity is supposed to be there because it's about other people. Everything that God does for you, when it, at first he loves us, we're little bitty kids and it's all about me, what can God do for me, and yes, he'll pay your bills, yes, he'll do this, yes, he'll do that, yes, he'll do this, that's fine. But God's called us to be world changers. Whatever our world, our, we're currently around, but he's called us to be world changers. So at some point you get to the place where you graduate, thank God, this isn't about me. Learning to live by faith, why I want to become far more mature in Christ is because I want to be a far greater influence wherever I go. And see, that's not a prideful thing. I mean, I want to see change. I want to carry enough of the presence of God, like David and I were talking this morning about, the, about we're just in school, basically that when I, you know, it is true, when I walk into a room, I want the atmosphere to change. Not so that somebody can say, wow, Rod's here. <laughs> no, I'm just saying so that people recognize it. We're supposed to be carriers. We're, we're, we're supposed to be contagious. We have a virus, a beautiful virus called the love of God. A beautiful, beautiful virus. A beautiful, beautiful virus. I'm loved by God. I'm absolutely, eternally, unconditionally accepted by the God who made all the universes, all the heavens, all the earths. He made these human bodies to function like they do. He's caused the brain to function. I mean, he knew what he was doing when he created the human brain. I believe that possibly God might know how the brain works. I said, anyhow, do you hear? And this is what I mean, all of this, you have to believe that God who lives outside of time again, God's up there in this other dimension. You know, he made us with purpose. Every single one of you have divine purpose. Every single one of you have divine purpose. Every single one of you are gifted 
beyond your current comprehension. And, you know, it, it's just like the old truth about how we only use something like, what, 2% or 1.5%, 3% of our brain, whatever. Think about the potential. We, it's just that we can't think that far. The potential that's within each and every one of you is astronomical. And yet all of it being released begins to happen when we come to the releaser, <laughs> when we come to the Holy Spirit, and we actually begin to meditate, think on him, and be before this word. You can't get away from it. This is what transforms you. This is what transforms you. This is why you praise. I don't care what, you know, teach on prayer, teach on praise, teach on fine, whatever. All of it becomes electrified because you stay in this, because you keep seeing it in this. Because in other words, I don't, I'm supposed to get to a place where, listen, if, if I don't doubt my wife, then I'm sure not going to doubt God. In other words, if I can believe what Julie says, I can surely believe what God says. I'm just trying to say, can't I give God the same reverence that I would give one of my closest friends? You know, somebody that I would, I wouldn't dare unbelieve. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, like I said, I know that, you know, like if somebody told me, you know, that. Somebody saw David Powell yesterday, you know, and he just absolutely took this little seven-year-old kid and beat the you-know-what out of him. Just beat him, just beat him, unmerciful, threw him to the ground, kicked him, beat him, kicked him, slapped him upside the face. And, well, I mean, I would tend to doubt that, simply because I know David a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I joked about Isle this morning, throwing all that boy in hot water on a manual so he couldn't come to church this morning. Nobody believed that. Why? Because you absolutely, you have, a, even that, you go, nah, 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 nah. He, but no, but I'm saying, so here we come to God Almighty, and we doubt him, and we go, mm, we ponder, and we think, and whether or not we can trust this or not. So something has to snap. That's all I'm saying. This is the word of the only God that there is. There is a God. I mean, science is catching up to it everywhere. I, I'm way ahead of myself this morning. But even, again, how uh, yesterday I happened to be reading an article. For some reason, I get attracted every once in a while to stuff about quantum physics and all this. And, you know, have heard me share a few things. But I would not heard of epigenetics. And epigenetics, genetics is, you know, just the genes. And it was just very, I'm going to just give you the bare basics, to say the least, as I'm no authority. But, you know, all of us. Your body, we're made with certain genes. We have a genealogy. We have not, sorry, that's the wrong use of that term. Genes. And your genes determine like whether or not you like mushrooms. Uh, some people will never like mushrooms just because it's in their genes. It's in the genetic order of their body. Some people, that's why some people are born beautifully blonde like my wife. You know, she has genes that's caused her hair to be blonde. Well, basically, epigenetics, what they've discovered is, they've discovered that actually, you know, there's a thing about the DNA, the gene, the DNA, and the proteins from the DNA, basically that you can actually change your genes. Now, they've proven this now, scientifically. You can direct, you can alter your genetic makeup. Now, that's phenomenal. In other words, you can actually change who and what you are. And you know what it boils down to? You know what they discovered? You know how it happens? Thoughts. Thoughts and speech. Uh, uh, Google it. 
<laughs> but it is phenomenal. They talk about it in the one other thing that they discovered the human brain, if you think, if you think for just 16 seconds, if you concentrate as we're think for 16 seconds, they've proven that something begins to vibrate in the brain. Nervous neurons and things in the cell, the cellular level. Well, the cellular lever doesn't begin. The cellular lever level doesn't begin to vibrate yet. That happens a little later. But in 16 seconds, that something called that they call it the law of attraction is initiated from thinking for 16 seconds. And they said if you concentrate for 68 seconds, just six, you know, a minute and eight seconds for 68 seconds, that suddenly it releases a vibration that causes cellular movement that actually creates this attraction towards change. <laughs> now, we're not talking about concentracy. Faith isn't concentrating on something so hard that you think it's gonna, you're going to make it manifest. But God made the brain, and as a man thinks, so is he. It's just a phenomenal to me when you begin to study a little bit and look at these things. This God made us like this. He knew what he was doing. And see, he did all these things, like it says, all these treasures of wisdom are hidden for us, not from us. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed are revealed to all of us. But see, it being revealed means we dig. It's not necessarily going to be revealed to you if you don't dig to find it. The Bible says you're supposed to esteem God's word as hidden treasure. Now, I've always given the same old illustration, but if right now, I don't know where you live, what flat you live in, house, whatever, but I always give the same illustration. If I could dog guarantee you, I mean, if I guaranteed you, if I could somehow give you absolute positive proof that right now where you live, where you live right now, in one of the walls where you live, there's 15 billion pounds. And it's tax-free, and it's yours when you find it. Now, seriously, how many of you would wait for the church service to be over? You'd be gone. I mean, you'd be gone, wouldn't you? Because you wouldn't care about breaking the wall up, 15 billion pounds, you know, you could fix the wall, and I'd, I doubt if you'd stay in the house. But the point is, the point is, listen. See, evidently, we really don't understand that this is far more valuable than rubies and gold. I said it's far more valuable than 15 billion pounds. So just like with urgency, you would run to your house to get a sledgehammer. See, something about this is what's happened to me. I mean, I just, I, I love feeding on this. Every morning I ask my father, what can you, what, what am I get? what do I get to find today? What can I find? What can I find? See, I am a little boy. I'm a little kid. I'll always be a little kid. And he is my dad. And he knows I love, he knows I like to have this kind of fun. And he loves hiding stuff for me because he loves to see the joy on my face when I find something. It's just that simple. I said, it's just that simple. 
But see, something, I don't know, you know, like I said, a grace happened to me back in January 17 or whatever. Like I said, pap, all this stuff happened to me. And I, you know, but I'm just saying, it's, but it's there for everybody. See, I, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say this morning is, would you at least pray, ask the Father to give you that revelation. Father, reveal to me in a way that I'll understand how big a treasure this really is. And that I can dig as long as I want. I can dig every day. I can dig a couple of minutes every hour. You know what? He's promised something. Matthew 7, 7. Put up Matthew 7, 7. I mean, you know, this is, this is something that's really hit me. Again, it's so simple. It's one of the simplest verses we know. It says, well, I guess put the verse before that. Something. Nope. Go to the next, go to seven then. But anyway, but where it says, no, not a hypocrite, go the next way. <laughs> no, but basically it's just where Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. I used to struggle with that back in the early days of the faith teaching because, I, well, you should ask once and that's it. Bless God, anything else is unbelief. But of late, what happened to me a while back, like I said, especially because this brother, this close friend of mine that I'm still I'm fighting for, I just have, I, I believe God has spoken these things. And I remember like at least three or four places in Scripture, it says that I get to come to him by the right of my necessity and on the authority of his word. And so it's like, I don't, I don't do this because it's part of an equation. But I, Jesus said this. Jesus. Jesus said this. Jesus said this. Ask and keep on asking. It'll be given you. Seek and keep on seeking. You will find. Knock, keep on knocking. It will be open to you. But ask and keep on every morning, every evening for my brother Charles over there right now. Every morning I come to God every morning. This is how you pray the word. It's just that I just come to him and said, Father, you know, this isn't about me or pride. But I said, Jesus, you said you have no greater truth, no greater joy than to hear that your children walk in truth. That's what the spirit of God said in your word. I know this is truth because you spoke it. You said ask and keep on asking. And bless God, I'm asking and I'm asking again. I'm asking again for Charles to be raised up 100% to be resurrected spirit, soul, and body. That you're going to grant him another 10 years of incredible ministry in life. I come to you on the authority of your, This is your word. I, this word has authority. This is your word. It can never be broken. 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 I trust you. You're not a man that you should lie. I trust you. And I tell you, all I can say is something's happened in me as far as all of that matter because I believe it. And it's just, it really is like it's a settled thing. I know that my brother's coming forth. He's been in coma since February 13th. But I tell you, resurrection is really close. But I'm telling you, I just know. And it's like I have every time I pray for him, I've got this smile on my face. Because like I said, I've had this connection between him and Jesus and myself. He said, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given. 
I don't care what anything looks like. He's not a liar. And see, you get to make this leap of faith. I believe you. But see, this is why we look at the rest of the scripture and find out all these other areas that have to deal with their life, and we get to believe them just as tenaciously. When you believe it, you will have it. You will not have these promises without faith. It begins, though, when faith does begin. See, it's not a feeling. That's why we have to go through all these teachings. Faith isn't a feeling. It's a decision at first. I believe. I'm choosing to believe. And then we have to find out the other things that follow, like Julie spoke about, like I said, about the seed and what have you. So I just want to get into a couple of things this morning about this, because to me it's just incredible. So I want you to turn to Mark 4 that Julie spoke of, and this very familiar teaching about the parable of the sower. And uh, we're going to look at it. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 11 first. And again, you guys know I'm in the Amplified Bible. Jesus speaking to them. Now these, he was only speaking, verse 10 will tell you, he's only speaking to the 12. He's not speaking to the multitudes there. And in verse 11, he said to them, to you guys has been entrusted the mystery. Now the mystery, mystery on the word means the unveiling. It means to become the initiated ones. I like that. It's literally in the Greek, it says, mysterion, it says, the initiated ones. He said, to you has been entrusted the mystery of the kingdom. In other words, well, how, well, how it works. That is the secret counsels of God. They're hidden from the ungodly, but for those outside of our circle, everything becomes a parable. In order that they went ahead, jump down now to verse 13. And he said to them about this parable of the of this, well, no, I'm sorry, I messed up. I really need to go. No, no, it's okay. Well, I'm sorry, Lord. Yes, slow down. <laughs> in the earlier parts of Mark 4, of course, when he first starts telling everybody where he says in verse 3, I'm sorry, where he says, give attention to this. Mark 4, 3, give attention to this. A sower went out to sow. So the whole thing, he's talking here about this. And as you know, it, he said, as he was sowing, some seed fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Other seed of the same kind fell on ground full of rocks. It had not much soil, so at once it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. When the sun came up, it was scorched because it had not taken root, it withered away. Other seed of the same kind fell among thorn plants. Thistles grew, pressed together, utterly choked and suffocated it, yielded no grain. Other seed of the same kind fell into good, while adapted soil brought forth again, growing up, increasing and yielding up as much as 30 times, 60 times, even 100 times as much. In verse 9, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him be hearing. Let him consider this and comprehend it. And then, like I said, they all go away. And then he, he gives them the statement of verse 11. He said, to you has been entrusted the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now I'll read from verse 12. He said, I've done this in order that the people outside may look and look, but not see and perceive, may hear and hear, but not grasp and comprehend, lest happily they should turn again. And if their willful rejection of the truth should be forgiven them. But then in verse 13 is where it starts to get very powerful. And remember he says this. He said, do you not discern and understand this parable, the parable of the sower? <clears throat> he said, how then is it possible for you to discern and understand all, all parables? Basically, all theologians agree on this, that when he makes this statement, <clears throat> 
He's saying this is the simply most important parable of all anything Jesus, the parable, as far as the parables Jesus ever spoke. This is the key. It is a key. I said it's a key. It's one of the keys of the kingdom. And he said, you need to understand this one. Have listening ears. Hear, comprehend, understand, consider this. This one unlocks everything. So this is why truly not just closing your ear when you hear a message on seed. Don't do that. Don't do that. You need to understand seed. God has put that in the earth as a sign, as instruction, as something that can be right in front of your eyes, something that little kids marvel at. I always remember, you know, when Anna was a little tiny girl, you know, the big deal, you just, when you bring a little seed in, you put it in a little tiny pot and put it in the windowsill. When kids begin to see something grow, you know, it's just, it's marvelous to see it. But anyhow, so this is what he said. But then in verse 14, he says what? He said, the sower sows the word. So without any doubt, God says his word is seed. Amen? I mean, it's seed. I said it's seed. Again, No matter how many times I said it, I just, you know, I don't want you to turn off because you, you, you already have heard so many things, so many times. But remember, the thing about seed is, is that seed, really listen. Remember, seed has the power within itself to bring itself to pass again, right? And that's a mystery. Scientists forever have been trying to figure out how that happens. Any honest scientist will tell you they don't know. Now they've done what? They genetically modified seed. But the thing about genetically modified seed is it can't reproduce. You have to keep planting every year more genetically. If you have a GMO crop, then you have to keep planting it every year. You can't get any new seed from genetically modified seed because it, it isn't the original stuff that has life in it. See, science can't create life. Only God can. So even in the body of Christ, you see, there have definitely been some genetically altered words, messages, teachings, false teachings, heresies, stuff that have come out. Look like it, sound like it, but it Ain't it <laughs> bad English, but you know what I mean. But God's word is seed, and seed has within itself the power to bring itself to pass again. So funny when you look at it. I mean, you just look, it's just a hunk of something. It's just a hunk of something. And see, God's scriptures to a lot of people just remain a hunk of something. But you have to begin, you have to meditate, you have to choose, you have to believe within these words. Paul said that's why we're to be able ministers of the spirit of it, the life. We're to minister the life that's in this verse, not the structure of the verse. The life. Because every word of God is life. It has life in it. See, the thing about life 
Life extinguishes death. Jesus is our example. He is the light of the world. He's the life of God manifest into flesh. And I love it in Hebrews. It says that he annulled death. <laughs> that cracks me up. Every time I read that verse, I start to cry. Really, I start to laugh. He annulled death. Death, you're out of here. You're gone. You're gone. Because death couldn't, couldn't stay in the presence of life. And see, oh my gosh, for us to really capture this, the life of God is in me. Well, why isn't death extinguished? Because you don't really believe it. I don't really believe it. Same principle as the, as the Ark of the Covenant. Those are put out his hand thinking he was just trying to study the Ark. Bam, he died because you can't touch the holiness of God. You couldn't touch that. Flesh couldn't touch that and live. Well, today we're the Ark of the Covenant. We're the temple of God. God's commandments, rather than the two plaques of the Ten Commandments being in the Ark, God's Word is now engraved upon the fleshy tablets of our heart. We are the temple of God. So from heaven's perspective, death can't touch you and live. But it's not that way from our perspective yet. But it needs to get that way. It, let me put it, it can get that way. This is what science is starting to prove. See, you can redirect your DNA. That's crazy. But they're proving it. Because it's life. It's God's will. It's God's way. He made it that way. He made it that way. And if we'll just begin to cooperate with it and align ourselves, we will begin to see the changes. But now let me keep reading this, and then we'll just get to the whole wonderful truth of patience for a moment. Hallelujah. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. The ones, I mean, there's so many aspects of teaching in this. The ones along the path are those who have the word sown in their hearts. But when they hear, Satan comes at once. Everybody say at once. And it says, by force takes away the message, which is sown now. King James says, Satan cometh immediately. Now, he said this. It's true. So this is why you should not be so panicked. Because when the word of God first comes to you in an area, and you first begin to really see a truth, see, don't be surprised. He said, Satan's going to come, I mean, immediately. Well, how, how, to steal that message, to steal that word. Well, how do you steal a message of faith? I don't know, by instantly coming and saying, you can't believe that, that's stupid. Look at so-and-so, he believed that, it didn't work, so on, whatever. It's just, he comes with the opposite. No, no, it won't. No, no, it won't. No, no, it won't. No, And he give you 15,000 reasons because he wants you to get in your mind and live there. That's where Satan's battleground is, remember, the brain, the mind. But he comes immediately, so I'm aware of that. So when I reach, when I release my faith, I don't, I understand. I don't expect it, but I know he'll come. I said, I know he'll come. Whether it's praying for Charles or whatever, or I don't care what it is in the issue, praying for something, change in your career, change in your marriage, something like that. I, it's amazing. I mean, like when I teach a love walk, when I used to teach a love walk all the time, I'd tell people from the beginning, really be aware because I'm teaching you what the love walk really looks like, I guarantee you, you're going to have more opportunity to get in strife than you've ever had in your life. 
Because I mean to tell you that, I guarantee you that message, which is the supreme foundation and message like we just sang about, is the supreme message of the whole book. And he does my so anything. This is why he wants you to be so easily irritated. Gets you shaken, shook up, blasted, where you just yell and scream at the tiniest little stuff. You know, he knows. He's Satan. He doesn't have to worry. He's got you. Because God can't work in that, you see. So he comes immediately. I don't care what the area is. But see, because I know that, I don't panic. Mm, oh, it's you. Like Wigglesworth. Remember that story about Smith Wigglesworth? He wakes up in the middle of the night and senses, and he looks up, and he leans up, and he sees and literally uh, a visitation, Satan himself standing at the end of his bed, starting yelling and saying, Wigglesworth goes, oh, it's you. He lays back down and goes to bed. His attitude, because he knew his God was so much bigger and the truth of what God is in him is so much bigger that he, he, know, he knew, you know, but see, that doesn't, Satan's still going to come. Hell's going to come. You, you do understand that. Hell's going to come. So don't flip out and freak out. I quote it all the time out of 1 Peter where it says, Why do you think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that comes at you as though something foreign to your vocation has happened? It's part of the trip. It's part of the journey. So Satan comes immediately to steal the word. Right? <clears throat> then in verse 16 he says, And in the same way the ones sown upon stony ground are those who, when they hear the word, at once receive and accept and welcome it with joy. But they have no real root in themselves and so they endure for a little while but now watch this statement and then when trouble or persecution arises why does it arise why does trouble and persecution come in this aspect what does it say on account of what on account of the word so i mean do you really hear that trouble and persecution arises because of the message so you receive the message with joy, but understand trouble and persecution will come to steal the message. See, if he can get the message out of your heart, he's got the promise out of your life, right? So watch, they have no real root in themselves. They only do it for a little while. Then when trouble, persecution arises on the words, on account of the word, they immediately are offended. It says in the Amplified, they become displeased, they're indignant, they're resentful, they stumble, and they fall away. And the ones sown among the thorns, of course, are others who hear the word, but the cares, anxiety of the world, the distractions. Anybody been distracted before? The distractions of the age. Pleasure and delight and the false glamour, the deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passionate desires for other things, they creep in. I like the fact that that's how it's worded. They kind of just sneak in. And they do what? They choke the message. They suffocate it. In other words, they pile up. I said they pile up. You ever had a bunch of paperwork pile up? I've got paperwork piled up in there, and every once in a while I'll take the paperwork away and the hold underneath the paperwork was something else I've been looking for for months. They suffocate. It'll suffocate the word. And of course, on verse 20, it says, and those sown on good, well-adapted soil are the ones who they hear the word, they receive it, they accept it, they welcome it, and they bear fruit 
some 30 times as much, some 60 times as much, some even 100 times as much. And anyhow, he goes on. He's, this is why, let me just jump down to verse 24. Well, verse 23 is where he said, if any man has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him perceive and comprehend. Verse 24 has been a paramount verse for me, all my Christian experience. And he said to them, be careful, therefore, be careful what you're hearing. What's Romans 10, 17 say? We all know faith comes by hearing, right? He said, be careful. And these are intense words in the Greek. Be careful what you're hearing because the measure of thought, the measure, small measure, medium measure, large measure, the measure of thought and study, thought, thought. Remember what I said, epigenetics, all this kind of stuff? The measure, the measure of thought and study you give to the message will be the measure of virtue. Now that word is the word power, literally the word dunamis in the Greek. That's going to determine to see my ability to think on the message. As I give myself as I actually understand that I need to be careful what I hear and that the measure of thought and study I give to the truth or to the message I hear, it will be the measure of virtue, power, and knowledge that will come back to me. And you know what? More besides will be given to me who really made a decision to hear. Hallelujah. So this is why I always say you have to be careful what you hear. You really do. Because, again, like they say, the ear is a gateway. It's a spiritual gateway, listening, hearing. Scientists, doctors say the last human sense to leave a body as it dies is hearing. Again, that's why so many people have been pronounced dead, and they, they, their heart beats, and they come up, and they can literally, they'll tell people, they'll tell you literally things that were said around the operating table because they were still hearing. They picked it up. So what you see here is a simple dynamic. I'll jump to now. Like I said, I only have another two hours left. Some of you are so honest. I can see the fear on your face when I say things like that. <laughs> but there's a pattern here. When the word comes, faith comes, but then Satan comes. Right? Did you catch it? The word comes, faith comes by hearing, so opportunity for faith, faith comes. But then Satan, who is consistent, <laughs> I always say he's on his job, whether you like it or not, he's on his job. Faith comes, excuse me, the word comes, faith comes, Satan comes, right? But that's why then God introduces this whole thing about patience. Now turn to James chapter 1, we'll read the first four verses. James chapter 1, you know the verses, like I said, I know this is incredibly familiar territory and ground for you, but again, like I said, you need to keep it in front of your eyes, not just quote it. James, it says here, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered abroad among the Gentiles in the dispersion. Greetings, rejoice. Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren. Doesn't this still make you laugh? Consider it holy, holy, completely joyful, my brethren, whenever you're enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Now, I've got to tell you, it's not my human nature to begin to rejoice when I find myself in a test and a trial and a temptation. Is it yours? You know, <laughs> 
No, but he said, see, again, it's like God's word is life. There's, see, this, there's power in every syllable of God's truth. He said, don't freak out. Count it joy. And the word count literally is an accounting term. <clears throat> it means to add, add a whole series of things up, draw a line under it, and let the sum of it equal joy. You know, okay, I'm, see, I, I don't have money for this. My car just broke. Washing machine is stuck. Um, my cousin's mad at me. No, 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 no. Joy. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Now, I don't always do that. I'm sure you are very good at it. But nevertheless, he said, this is, is he up there uh, like a divine masochist going, I've told them all, what, Michael, Gabriel, check this out. I told them to be really joyful and all this. <laughs> it doesn't do anything but crack this. Look at it. Watch him. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. He's a, you know, he's up there watching us as we just down here. <laughs> no, there's power when you know not to panic. And then, and then he goes on and he makes this statement about and the next verse. He says, be assured and understand something. The trial and the proving, not testing, the proving of your faith brings out something called endurance, steadfastness, and patience. Patience. Next verse says what? But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work. What will happen, according to this verse, if you let patience have its perfect work, as it says in the King James? It says, so that you may be a people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking in nothing. Patience, count it all joy. Let patience have her perfect work. I know, I don't like that message either. There's two Greek words for patience. One's macrothemia, which means like a long stretching out of the neck. The other one is hupomene, and that's the word that's here, hupomene, H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. Very interesting about the faith and patience, because there's another verse we can go to, but I won't take the time. Remember in Hebrews, it says it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises, right? Through faith and be followers of those, be followers of those. It tells you in the Bible who to follow. Be followers of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Why would I want to follow somebody that never, never, you know, they've never had a promise of God come to pass in their life? But be ye followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There are several verses in the scriptures where faith and patience go together. But the interesting thing that I had taught me back at Rhema all those years ago, faith is the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. It's masculine. Hupomene is feminine. And it talks about the two coming together. And they say that faith and patience are like a husband and a wife. When you keep those two together, you bring them together, they'll birth the promise. They'll give birth. The male and the female come together. You have to have faith and patience. Another guy put it this way, and it's true too. Faith is what opens the door to the promise. But patience is the doorstop that keeps the door open. So what am I saying? I'm trying to say when you release faith, when you speak faith to a situation, you release faith for something. 
I don't care what it is, you know, that new job. You really do have to understand the exercise of patience. I mean, you really do. I don't know how to say that strongly enough. If you really believe, you find yourself, you, and again, I don't want it to sound like condemnation, but it's a locator. I can't help it. Scripture locates where you are. And all I know is like what he's done with me. You know, it says that we which have believed enter into rest. So that's one of the things. You, there's a rest that comes, a peace, a calm, when you actually believed. I'm not panicking. Like I said, every time I get in my car, you know, like I said, my car is going from the opposite of glory to glory. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> And so, you know, like I said, I have asked God because he said, ask. And he said, whatsoever you need. And I mean, I, I'm, I don't think I'll have time to get it in John 14, 15, and 16 at all. But, you know, it's amazing to me. Jesus said so many times, ask anything in my name. Ask anything in my name, and I'll give it to you. Boy, we put all kinds of hindrances on those verses. But I'm telling you, I've been studying them like heck for the last three months. <laughs> you know what anything means? It means anything. And you know, it freaks me out. You go to 2 Peter 1.19, he says, I've given you all things to enjoy. So anyhow, I'm just saying, so I said, Father, you know, I, I, you know, I need a new car. I need a car. And so I released my, in Jesus' name, I've released my faith for this car. So I'm letting patience have its perfect work. But the thing is, like I said, something clicked in me. I'm not bothered a lick. And I mean that. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just trying to say, I'm really grateful to God. I know my car will be there. It's fine. It's going to come. It's come. One fact, and then it sounds, not to sound like the old classic faith teaching, but I'm sorry, that's what the Bible teaches. I actually already have it. I actually already have it. And like I had to say, this is what patience is. You've heard me do this many times, but see, it's all a matter of a little, it's a little tiny, it's a matter of something very tiny that only takes four letters. It's a matter of time. So, see, you and I have to practice something. We also have to practice not being moved by time. Time's only here. There's no time in heaven. We're going to enter into, the, it says, the eternity of the eternities. But the Bible says, lay hold on eternity now. So you and I have eternal life now. And again, like I said, if you think about waiting for something a month, six months, a year, six years, what is six years compared to eternity? It's nothing, see. And so he wants us, it says, we're to be eternally minded. All of these truths, as you read the word and stay in front of see, that begins to come into your spirit and it helps you when you're in trials because you realize, oh, it's okay. I'm not going to freak out. It's okay. I don't know how long this time is going to take. But that's what, like what Julie mentioned uh, and when she was talking about the wheat and seed. It is amazing. I looked it up for myself on, just because I wanted to see. And what I looked up, it talked about like sweet corn. It says you, you, you sow sweet corn between, April, between March and May. And depending on the where you're at, and as far as the heat, it should always be in sweet corn's best between 60 degrees and 83 degrees Fahrenheit. In other words, in, in country that's like that. We had six, eight, well, no, we had four acres of sweet corn where I grew up. But anyhow, um, sweet corn takes about 60 to 100 days to mature, depending on the, the weather. 
But it is true, and what this guy was sharing, what Juliana watched, it's, you know, when a farmer knows, a farmer knows, okay, he knows corn seed's going to take, let's say, 90 days, just to just throw, between 60 and 100 days. The farmer knows this, right? He's, he's a farmer. He understands seed. So he puts that seed in the ground, right? Now, just think, of, does he start worrying tomorrow? Does he start worrying next week? Does he start worrying a month from now? No, why? Because, see, this is the difference between the earth and heaven. <laughs> see, earthly seed, we know it's appointed season. I know if I plant corn, about three and a half months down the road, I'll have full, full corn. Wheat's about four months. I know if I plant wheat. I didn't like, but you've got to see this. See, farmers don't worry because they have faith in the seed. Right? Of course you know where I'm going. Wonderful. Farmers don't faint because they know the seeds in the ground. They know what the seed does. They've got faith in the seed. Right? Well, see, God's, the sower, so the word. God's word is seed. And of course, you come back to what we're saying then. If a farmer can have faith in a worldly seed, an earthly seed, surely can we not have faith that when God's seed is planted, when God's word, God's word is God's seed, and that seed goes into my heart. And we know, I, I, won't, I was going to go there and read it, but I don't think I want to go and take the time. But Isaiah 55, why don't you put up Isaiah 55 verses? I think it started verse 10. Put up Isaiah 55, 10. We all know that, you know, as the earth, rain comes down upon the earth and so on. But let's put it up, Isaiah 55. Is it 10? Yeah. Go to verse 9, actually, to see if it's verse 9. I want you to see first. Well, okay, I'll read it. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Next verse. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, right, as rain comes, and it says it returns not there again, but it waters the earth to make it bring forth and to sprout, to do what? So it might give seed to a sower, that it might give bread to the eater. Next verse. See, again, we know this verse. We've heard it forever. But really think about what he's saying. So he said... My word's going to be just like that rain. It's going to do. He said, it's going to, my word that comes out of my mouth, he said, it will not return to me void. It's not, in other words, void means it's not going to be empty. It will not ever, God's word will not ever, ever not produce what it's intended to produce. Did you hear me? God's seed will always produce exactly what God's seed is intended to produce. But it shall accomplish. That seed will produce what he's intended it to produce. It will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Hallelujah. So here farmers have, they know the appointed season. In um, Galatians 6, 9, put up Galatians 6, 9 real quick. Hallelujah. Galatians 6, 9, you all know this one too. And he says, let us not lose heart and grow weary. Grow weary. You don't just wake up weary. You grow weary because you let stuff agitate you. 
Let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due time and at the appointed season. See, you've got to know there's an appointed season. When God's seed gets into your heart, you keep what's the two remember what are the two what are the two locations of faith that the Bible teaches? Who can tell me? Two locations of faith. Not trying to trick you. Come on. Say what? Heart and the mouth. Heart and the mouth. You have it in your heart, you have it in your mouth. You have it in your heart, you keep it in your mouth. Have it in your heart, you keep it in your mouth. I said you keep it in your mouth. Now what, let me tell you something. If God's word is God's seed, and this seed of God will always produce, always produce, always produce, because God's unchangeable. There's no shadow of turning in him. I said it will always produce what it is. If it's corn seed, it will not produce rice. Remember, you can't make wheat seed produce corn. So again, this is why the basic, but it's still there. See, I mean, what do you have need of? What crop do you want to grow up? Find God's words, find God's promise about that, and put that in your heart and keep it in your mouth. Now, if God's word is seed and God's word is eternal, what can be wrong about keeping scriptures in your mouth? I don't care how you feel. I'm telling you, you cannot keep God's word in your mouth and it not produce. Because God can't change. So you're still not hearing me. You can't keep God's holy word, which is seed, in your mouth without it producing. You can't. Because if it's in your, if it's in your heart and in your mouth, and if you keep it in your mouth, it will ultimately get in your heart because that's how that happens too. Heart and mouth. Heart and mouth. Heart and mouth. You can't keep God's word in your mouth and it not produce something good. So to me, I just, that's why I delight and I just murmur the word. I, when I'm sitting alone or I'm watching TV, I just, I find myself just murmuring the word. I am not some super spiritual person. I, you know, I'm not to say the least. I'm not Joe Holy, but I'm just, I've learned this much. I've learned, I just keep it in there. I want a rich deposit. I'm long, I'm in the book. I'm in the book. But see, everybody can be in the book. Everybody can be in the book. It's my job to be in the book, but God will multiply your time. He'll take, he'll take 15 minutes in the book and probably multiply the same stuff I get in an hour. I don't know. Because he knows that you have a job. He knows that you have a career. He knows that you're like, if you have a busy schedule. But the thing is, he just wants to see hunger. Is there any hunger? Is there, is there a reverence for this being the truth? Do you actually believe my son, my daughter, this is my word, this is my truth? Well, you will show me. I will know that you believe because I'll see a little hunger. I'll see your determination to make a way to get in the book. When I see you making a determined effort to get in the book, I'll honor that. I'll honor that, even if it's five minutes. I will honor that because he will. I said he will. Hallelujah. So um, to me, it's just crucial. But the issue is at pointed time. So here the thing is, then we've got another verse that says, and that I think, no, I'm saying, I think I misquoted it earlier. Second, I think it's Second Peter 1.19. It says that we have a more, see, we have a more sure word of prophecy today. And the thing is, like I said, when prophets of old spoke, I mean, you know, there were those that were closest to them in the school of the prophet. They knew it was going to come to pass. Sometimes in those days, it didn't come to pass for 600, 780 years. Like Isaiah, his, 
he was, Isaiah was prophesying around 760, 760 B.C. before Christ. And I mean, you know, think about saying something 760 years before it comes to pass. But it's a sure word it came to pass because it came from the mouth of God. Well, see, we've got a more sure word than had it come from the mouth of a prophet, a man. We have it coming from the mouth of God. I said, we have it coming from the mouth of God. We have it. They, God loved us so much he had it put in a book. Do you understand? This book has changed millions of lives for 2,000 years. Do you understand that this book, this man, Jesus Christ, has been the greatest influence on planet Earth of any other any entity, anything that's ever happened? There's nothing in all of history that has had a greater impact on the planet and on ethics, on anything else than this man, Jesus Christ. This book you hold in your lap or in your phone, wherever it may be, is eternal, and it's eternally true. It's eternally holy. It will change the life of whosoever will look to it. Hallelujah. See, that's what gives me hope. That's why now, instead of a rumor, word comes, faith comes, Satan comes. But now I've added to it. Word comes, faith comes, Satan comes, patience comes. Like I said, I'm going to put that door stop. I got the door open now. Hallelujah. I'm going to keep patience right there. I'm going to keep that door open. I'm not going to let the door of my face shut. I don't care how much stress, Mark 4, the parables. I don't care how many distractions. I now know, I see them. He said distractions, cares of this world, false glamour of this. This, this stuff will sneak into your life and it will suffocate the message. But this is why we stay alert now. Because we know, we know to keep our house clean. Now, I got to tell you, I'm grateful uh, between that, uh, our family, we keep we do our best to keep our house clean. I mean, I'm I'm not super agent. None of us are. Julie isn't. You know, none of us are. But you know, she's always cleaning something, and I'm working. But I mean, can you imagine what you know? Actually, being in a house that isn't touched for like 18 months, and you see, this is why the Bible says, you know, you like your heart. And again, the other basic truth, real quick, that I have to throw out, of course, is all the parable of the seed. Remember, the issue is the seed is good. The issue is the condition of the soil. That's your human heart. But that's why you're quick, remember, to pull out weeds. You know, weeds, little stuff that you don't want growing, that just suffocates stuff, will get in your heart. But that's why, again, looking to the Word every day, being in prayer, you'll just, okay, you don't get mad at yourself for finding a weed. You just pull the weed out. Just get it out of there. A weeds are thoughts, wrong thoughts, too. No, no, no. I still get stupid thoughts every once in a while. I've been having a real, I have been having a real opportunity with my dreams of late. I have some of the stupidest, I mean, not dirty dreams, just nonsense, dumb stuff. You know, waking, you're an artichoke on a tree. I'm serious. Stuff like that. You know, that means nothing, but they bother me. They agitate me. Really bugging me because I mean, you know, what the heck? I mean, I mean, just dumb stuff. And so I just finally said, well, you know, Jesus said, well, do what you're studying. I mean, duh. Take authority over that stuff. So I mean, every night Julie hears me almost every single father in the name of Jesus Christ. I will only have pleasant dreams or no dreams at all. I take authority over anything stupid, 
confusing, <laughs> whatever. In Jesus' name, I'm not going to dream stupid, funky dreams. I don't have time for it. My sleep shall be sweet. I shall lay down and my sleep shall be sweet. <sighs> but I had to take action toward it. I'm just saying, uh, do this stuff. Don't just talk about it. Do it, all right? Now, like I said, you... Uh, let me just read this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here in a moment because I think we've gone far enough because some of it, it, like I said, it's so basic, but I just knew I needed to do some of this. Um, well, let me just make mention of this for I mean, you know, like I said, farmers know corn seed. They put that seed in. They know that it has an appointed time. They know when they plant wheat, whatever's planted, they know because of down here. We don't know the exact timing, but see, we can, what God wants us to know, even though we may not know its exact timing, he wants us at least to understand or to believe and to really believe it will come. And that sounds so simple. But see, if I can believe what it says in the direction of the back of a packet of seed, surely I can believe what it says in the book of the, in the, book of the Holy God. This will come to pass. Why? I know it's his will. This will come to pass. This will come to pass. When? That's not my problem. Only thing he's asked me to do is believe. That's not my problem. That is the time is what hell works with. Hell wants to freak you out. But when? But when? You need it now. Shouldn't you push? Maybe you should help God. Help God. Help God. Help God. Help God. Come on, help him. You know the Holy Ghost needs help here. Help him. Help him. Help Help God. And you get involved and see, you get your hands on it and you mess it up. I've messed it up a hundred thousand times probably in my life. And you know, you really come to the point where you really do hear God one day say, would you, you know, hands off. I always remember when I first heard the teaching about first Peter about casting all your care upon God once and for all, for he will care for you. And you know, that old classic illustration he gave me all those years ago, he said, the word cast, I looked it up, and it's a, it's a shepherding term, and it meant when there was like a wrong directional birth of a lamb, where again, well, you know how they'll reach in into the womb of the, of the, of the ewe, the mother lamb, mother sheep, and they'll reach and grab those legs, and, but when there was something wrong, when they were being birthed wrong, it said the word, the word cast means to hurl, and it's literally a picture of taking a baby lamb by the back legs, pulling out and casting it into the air so that it tumbles and falls and hits the ground, makes it breathe so they can live. And it says we're to cast our care upon God. Get rid of it, right? Just get rid of it. But um, the old illustration, I don't want to do it. Let's say I've, I've got my care and I, okay, David, let's do it. Get up here, David. Get up here. We all know it's so simple, right? Okay, now the, what, where's my faith? My faith is I'm the healed of the Lord. Bless God, this flu is going to leave in the name of Jesus. <sighs> I release my faith. Hallelujah, I believe I receive. Amen. And you know what? I'm going to cast the care of this over on you, God. Okay, hallelujah. Now somebody comes up to me and says, what are you going to do about that? And I said, do about what? And that's that tough. And I said, I don't have it. What do you mean? I gave it to God. I gave it to God. I don't have it anymore. But then John walks up to me and says, you know, you sure you don't have it? He said, you're looking pretty rough. He said, I mean, you know, you're really, really, really looking pretty rough. And I said, no, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the healed of the Lord. 
I cast the care of this on him. I release my faith. I cast the care. God has it. It's not my hands. It's not my hands. God has it. But then old Jason comes up to me. Jason goes, Rod, I mean, you really do look bad. You sure you shouldn't be laying down? You know, something like that. And I go, well, and then slowly these things creep in. And I go, well, no, I, uh, no I'm, I'm the healed of the Lord. You know, I, I, yeah, I'm, no, I'm healed. I, uh, <coughs> then Nate comes up next day. Rod, he said, I love you, Pastor Rod. He said, you know, really, dude, you need to go to the doctor. I mean, you're looking bad. You're looking bad. And I said, and I'll say, no, well, you know, and I said, well, you know, I'm, and I, I you know, yeah, I, I, man, I, I'm sick of the dog. And so what do I do? I take the care back. And it's mine again. It's the simplest little truth. But it, that's why it says, cast your pair, care, pair, cast your pairs too. You can sit on there. But cast your cares once and for all. And see, that's where, again, faith enters into determination. People, you, we have to get to a place where we, it's not that we don't care. Even the word care, I've told you this, remember, years ago, when I looked up the word care, it means anxious foreboding. And that's when I stopped saying, take care of people. You know, because I remember, you know, God had me stop and get to know that. And so he said, well, say that to him. And so I'd say goodbye to somebody. I'd say, take anxious foreboding. See you later. <laughs> and people would say to me, take care. And I found myself going, no, thank you. <laughs> Sir, I'm not going to take it. Seriously. I mean, because it needed to come alive to me. So I had to get it. Whether anybody else did or not was an issue. I saw something there. I can't afford to take the care. I don't want to take the care. So see, this is what he wants. He says, cast all your care onto him because he will care for you. So Father, may we believe these things, I guess is what I'm trying to say, all right? And then like I said, this final little, actually I'm done. Um, other than I'm, I got to say this again, farmers know when their seed's going to come, their appointed season. But again, please just hear me. God is a more sure, God's word is a more certain word of prophecy. God's word is seed. Please, he's simply saying, this is why, you know, I'm asking you to pray and just ask the Lord to help you really believe. This is God's word. It's never going to change. I actually can trust it. It's his seed. If I need finances, we all know what I'm going to say next. I am going to find financial promises which are God's seed, and I'm going to put financial promises in my heart and in my mouth, and I have a crop coming. I have a crop coming because I'm going to act on it, though. I'm not going to be just a hearer of the word. I'm going to be a doer. Like I said, I'm going to be a giver, and I'm going to be a bringer. Remember about tithes. We bring. You don't give tithes, but I'm going to bring my tithes, but I'm going to be, I'm just find places to give because he said if I give, it'll come. So I'm not doing that because I have to. It's just I've seen that's how the kingdom works. Hallelujah. So that seed's going to come to pass. I'll get a return on that seed. Friendship. If you man would have, what's the Bible say? If you would have friends, you must first show yourself friendly. What you sow, you reap. What you sow, you reap. Perseverance. I forget who said this. Perseverance is to the soul like exercise is to the body, 
The fruit of perseverance is character and the promise actualized and received. I'll say it again. Perseverance is to the soul like exercise is to the body. The fruit of perseverance is character and the promise actualized and received. And I like this statement. I'm sure you've heard it before, but about trials and tribulations. Smooth seas do not produce skillful sailors. Smooth seas do not produce skillful sailors. So make the most of your troublesome waters. Become skillful in the Word of God. Handle the Word of God skillfully. Look at it, study it, pray over it, ask the Lord to reveal it to you. And He will because He's faithful. Amen? Hallelujah. So Father, I speak blessing and life upon our people. I thank you they will have fullness of revelation in their lives. I thank you that you will show them deep, hidden, and secret things out of your covenant that they might rejoice and know that they serve a living God. And I'm thanking you, Father, that you're going to manifest your promises to them because they are going to ask and keep on asking. They're going to believe what you said, Jesus, when you said, ask anything in my name, and I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. They'll quit making excuses. They'll quit looking more for reasons why it won't work, and they'll start just releasing the energy for why it will work. Because it's your word. It's a more certain word of prophecy. So I give you praise today, Father, for the great things you've done and for the great things you're doing. And I'm telling you for the great things that are right in front of us. So as for me, I'm excited and I'm encouraged, Father. And I pray that that same encouragement, that same excitement comes upon every one of our people. In the holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe any of that, say amen. Amen. Stand up on your feet, and these guys are going to take us out with a song. But do go out rejoicing. Do hug somebody. Go out and turn to your believe, turn to your neighbor, and like they say, just say, Ben, meet us. I am a believer. You know, I mean, I am a believer. I am a believer. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 